Check one, check two. Citizen Podcast. Welcome to Citizen Podcast. I'm Carrie Kelly. This week we're talking to Justin Michael Williams, a pop star, meditation teacher, and author of the new book, Stay Woke, a meditation guide for the rest of us. In our conversation, he talks about how we need a different kind of meditation for these times, one that doesn't pretend the struggle doesn't exist. Instead, he is challenging us to stay woke. Staying woke, he says, isn't just about knowledge. It is a call to action, and it matters most when you feel like giving up. But Justin isn't just challenging us to wake up. He's challenging us to dream bigger. In his book, he writes... Those of us who grew up in the struggle, whatever particular struggle that may be, are not given an opportunity to dream big enough. When you grow up with violence and abuse, you dream of safety. When you grow up living from paycheck to paycheck, you dream of security. When you grow up in a broken home, you dream of stability. When you grow up being teased for being different, your dream is to belong. When you grow up marginalized, you dream of the same basic rights that seem to be afforded to everyone else by default. So of course, you forget to dream bigger. In a time when we are fighting for the bare minimum, it feels hard to imagine better. But Justin says, there is a new dream knocking at your door, and he is here to help you answer it. Check it out. Justin Michael Williams, welcome. Thank you. So excited to be here with you, Carrie. I'm so excited to be here with you. And um, okay, so how should how should one introduce you? Um, should I lead with you're a pop star, um, <laughs> or should I lead with you're a meditation teacher, or should I lead with you're an author, or should I lead with you're a business expert? I mean, like where where do I begin to introduce all of the versions of you that make up the amazing Justin Michael Williams? Oh my gosh, you are so sweet. I, I I think, you know, it's interesting. They've been saying like author, speaker, musician, you know, but I, yeah. I think really what's interesting is I've been thinking about this concept actually a lot of how difficult it is for some of us when people ask, what do you do? Or like, how do we define our purpose and blah, blah, blah. And I've been really trying to get out of this limiting box of defining myself as a noun. And I yeah. always try to encourage people to do that because like our life purpose and the work that we do in the world, like we will take on many nouns as like brother, father, this job, that job, you know, entrepreneur, artist, but the verb that lives through all of that, like, you know, is what I really stand by. And I think for me, what's most important to me is just to be doing work that helps empower all of us to get over and overcome the things that are holding us back from living the life of our dreams. That's a brilliant podcast question, by the way. Like, what is the verb to describe you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because there's so many nouns. And you're right, it's dynamic. It's it's always changing, right? We're constantly shape-shifting depending on the context that we're in. Sure. I mean, my mom doesn't even know what like what the hell I do. And people are like, what does your daughter do? She's like, um, <laughs> she has no word. Isn't it so hard sometimes for our parents to figure out like, uh. <laughs> I'm just going to tell her to tell people she disrupts things. <laughs> <laughs> something like that That's a, that'll that be works. my verb I think that works all right so before we get into the book <laughs> I want to hear about your your story and specifically of the convergence between your meditation practice and your work in the world because that's really what this book is all about right it's not about meditation out of context it's no. about meditation that's deeply steeped in the real chaotic complex often challenging world. And so what how, how what was your experience of kind of discovering the relationship between those two things? It's really interesting, Carrie. Like I, you know, I think for most of us, this idea of like meditating just to like sit down and like relax and, and just be on our cushion is, is so boring, you know, like it, it's cool. But like when you have things going on in your life and things that you want to accomplish and change that you want to make into the world, I think mostly that meditation is really about awareness, right? And right now in the world, more than anything, awareness is calling us to take action, you know, action in our lives, action in our communities, action for the planet, action for those who can't take action for themselves. And for me, what meditation has really done is it's helped me deeply, deeply go inside and, and as a supplement to the different other practices and work that I was doing, like therapy and reading and different healing modalities, and really uncover the things that were kind of 
holding me back from becoming who I knew I was meant to be, you know, in this world. And I think we all have this, like we all can kind of close our eyes and we can all see this life that we haven't started living yet. We can see the brother or the artist or the dancer, or the singer, or the creative. And, and we think we can't because we waited too long or we're too old or we're too busy or we're too poor or we're too this. And I found that this practice helps bring awareness to the parts of our own selves that are actually reinforcing the oppression on top of us that's holding us back from stepping yeah. into our power. So the practice for me is less of a chill thing and more of a force that helps you know move me forward in my life. Yeah, I hear you also talking about depth. Like I think about how sometimes when I describe the role of my practice in my life, I describe it as like the great revealer. Mm -hmm. Like it's helped me discover deeper dimensions of awareness, right? So not just like, how am I right now? How do I feel in my body, right? What What is the state of my breath? But like, you know, you know, um, who am I in society, right? Yeah. What is my social location? What impact does my identity have in the work that I, right? Like that, because you really talk about that in your book. Like it's calling us to like a, a, a higher level of awareness about who we are and how we work. Yeah, yeah. And I think and I think this is what is being called of us right now, you know, in the world, especially for the conscious people, the spiritual people, the woke, you know, people. And, and I think we're being called to step fully into our agency and understand the places and the spaces that we're in and, and how we show up in those spaces and what impact we can make in those spaces and what challenges we have and how we're sometimes have our feet on other people's necks, as my brother Darnell Moore loves to say, you know, and even though we're here fighting for justice and fighting for peace, but sometimes we have our feet on located on other people's necks without even realizing it. And I think that, uh, this work has the power to, yes, scratch the surface and, and help us feel less stressed and help us feel less anxious. And all that is fantastic and super important because if we're stressed and anxious and overwhelmed, we don't even have the capacity to go into that deeper work. So yes, let's scratch that surface, but let's also take it a step deeper and use this practice to get shit done, to take action and to, to change the world. And that's really what I believe in. And that's the reason I'm teaching it. I tell, you know, I say, Carrie, like I, I actually don't give a shit about meditation. I don't like when, when sounds true, when I was writing this book, I was like, I do not care about writing a meditation book. I actually don't even think the world needs another meditation book. I care about writing a book that uses meditation as a tool to help us transform or overcome or do something. And so that's the only reason I share and teach this practice is because it's helped me in my life so much from, you know, growing up in a home with gunshot holes, literally on the outside of my house to being able to live the life that I live right now. I'm literally in Hawaii overlooking the ocean, like right now as I'm doing this email, I mean, doing this podcast. And it's um, not to brag, but it's to say that if I can do this mm -hmm. and if practice is something that's helped me so much, I wanna make sure that everybody else has the opportunity to as well. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's let's talk about the book. And I have three questions specifically related to the name. So the book is called Stay Woke, A Meditation Guide for the Rest of Us. So my first question is, what do you mean by woke? And I say mm -hmm. that knowing that this term is like been, it's, it's loaded, it's been misinterpreted, it's been co-opted by dominant culture. Like, can you define for us what you mean by woke? Yes, I love that you use the word co-opted. I wish that I had that word from you before I wrote this book because that's the perfect word. Because well, and I remember you and you I know, had a conversation, right, about the, the the title of the book right before you started writing it. Yep, and I remember I was freaking out because I wanted to change the title. That's right, we were together there at, at Wellspring, and I um. So the thing is, is it's really interesting. What a lot of people don't know about the word woke is that it's not some recent word that's come around in like the Twitter era, you know, like, and we see hashtag woke as fuck, like hashtag namaste woke, like, you know, we see all these things now. And a lot of people think that woke is a similar word that is kind of like, oh, on fleek or bay or, you know, these throwaway kind of words that we have come into culture and then disappear. And I think those kind of words, they end up disappearing because what happens is they're brought into the zeitgeist by like people of color and these, you know, different communities. And then they're kind of, like you said, co-opted and then misused and misappropriated. And, and then people are like, okay, not into that anymore, you know? And that's what's happened to woke. But the thing is, is we can't 
back away from woke. And we can't throw away woke because the word woke actually originally comes from Black people in the 1960s on the East Coast who were dealing with things like drugs being implanted into the community, who were dealing with so much oppression and segregation and things happening, a lot of which we're still fighting for today. But they were dealing with this and the word that they used, a code word, was like, hey, you better stay woke. Stay mm -hmm. woke to the injustices happening in the world. Stay woke and don't let the system fool you. Stay woke and don't let them make it seem like you know, you can't overcome or watch what's happening around you. It was this, this word that really had this mix of be awake, be aware, but also be socially conscious to what's actually happening, you know, in the world. And the thing about woke is we don't actually have another word to replace it. That's why it can't go away. There's no other word that means that. Whereas like bay, you know, or fleek, those words can, it doesn't matter. But in, in an era where we have Me Too and the resistance and Time's Up and Black Lives Matter and environmental ruin and people who have had to overcome so much struggle to step mm -hmm. into their agency and power, we need woke. And so when I came to that, you know, when I was writing the book and uh, I kind of backed away from the title because NPR, I think it was NPR, came out with an article said, Why Woke is Dead. And I called my publisher and I was like, we can't use woke, you know? <laughs> so, so I was actually, was believe it or not, I was here in Hawaii then um, visiting some friends and I was trying to come up with a new title. And my publisher was like, if you can beat it, we'll change it. And it was like the worst two weeks of my life. Like I was trying to beat it. I was trying to beat it. And the universe was like, no, it's woke. And so I finally said, instead of trying to run away from it, let me lean into it and dive deeper into this word. And that's when I found all that history. And so here we are with, with Stay Woke, a meditation I guide. I love it. And I really appreciate the history. I didn't know the historical context of that term, right? And I think that's part of the problem, right? In, in, modern, um, in modern times and in dominant culture, the way in which um, we take words out of context, right? We steal words, right? Um, um, it's, it's theft, it's misunderstanding, it's misuse. Um, and so I really appreciate understanding where that word comes from, because it informs who uses it and how we use it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think one of my intentions with it, if I can just say one thing is, um, you know, I actually had that question, I said, am I appropriating woke now? Mm -hmm. Like, because I'm bringing this word into this mindful community and and kind of oh woke like woke means like to be awake you know awakened and and then i realized that's actually not what i'm saying like what the reason why woke is such an important concept and you talked about earlier this concept of going deeper is historically woke has often had us look at the things outside of ourselves that are stopping us or that are the systems that are holding us back and i think those that still stands and right now, what's being called of us is to take it a step deeper and to look mm. inward as well, because the mm, real revolution kind of starts inside. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me, um, so it takes me to my second question, right? Because I think often we hear the term referenced in get woke, mm -hmm. right? As if like that's a destination, but, but you, you actually chose stay woke, you know, which implies to me that it's more than a destination, right? Get woke is like, you get there, you arrive, you graduate, you get a trophy, right? And we see that a lot in like performative allyship, right? Yeah. In culture, like that you get like a badge because you said something woke on social media. But I feel like what you're talking about is something different. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, gosh, Carrie, I have to say like no one in all the interviews I've done, nobody has like dove into this in the beautiful way that you are. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, so the... The stay woke thing. So first of all, stay woke, the term in that phrase was actually like first used in, in a song with Erica Badu, um, like a while, a while ago. And then there's a new song that actually came out like a couple years ago that's called stay woke. So it's been used in the community in this way. And I think the reason why, and I, I nothing about this is different than the reason why I used it is, and it's actually interesting because one of the titles they suggested was get woke. And I was like, no because of that because st like staying woke or stay woke is something we have to constantly be doing it's a constant practice it's just like with meditation it's like you can't just meditate once and be like cool done i'm mindful like i'm finished like don't need to do that anymore so as we stay woke in the world every day when we wake up and we're watching the news and we're seeing what's happening with this election and this crazy non-impeachment and like all the nuts 
things that are happening in the world, we have to continue to stay woke and to raise our knowledge and our agency and our power to continue to do that. I love that so much. And I really appreciate the analogy to practice because I really resonate with that, right? That that it's a practice. Anti-racism is a practice, right? Civil disobedience is a practice. Non-compliance is a practice. Like you have to choose to do it every fucking moment, yeah. right? You don't get to just choose to do it once when it feels good, but like you have to choose to do it when it's hard. You have to choose to do it when it's inconvenient. And that reminds me of my meditation practice, right? That drives me crazy when I do it in a way that isn't convenient for my life or that makes me go crazy in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that like shit, you know? Yeah. My third question about the title of your book is um, the, the, the last part, right? A meditation guide for the rest of us. Who is, who is the rest of us? And I asked this in the context of, you know, I think we have a tendency often um, with words like us and we to assume right? The, to assume like the royal we or to assume, like it feels important and skillful these days to be specific about like, who do we mean when we say us? Who do we mean when we say we? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I was very specific in the book. And it was something that actually wasn't in there in the first round. And my publisher challenged me, sounds true. They said, who are you talking to? Mm. Like, don't be afraid. I know you're afraid. And this was a stepping forward for me, because I think so many of us, we, we often feel afraid because we're afraid of excluding people, mm -hmm. of really saying what we mean and who we're talking to. And, and this was a big step for me, you know, internally and personally. And so I'll actually read this short section in the book from page three. It says, for my black brothers and sisters, this is for you. For my LGBTQIA plus brothers and sisters, this is for you. For my women who've had enough, this is for you. For my starving artists and workaholic creatives, this is for you. For my conscious entrepreneurs who want to make an impact, this is for you. For those who have been discriminated against for their otherness, this is for you. For my social justice warriors, this is for you. For my tree-loving planet savers, this is for you. And for all people of color and everyone who is woke enough to understand why I'm pointing that out in the first place. This mm. is for you. Yes. This book is for us, for the people. Mm. And so that's who it's for. And, and, I, and what I find is that we can locate ourselves in there. Mm -hmm. And, and the this is, it is very inclusive, but it is very specific at the same time. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think for those of us who are on the fight and who believe in justice and who believe that People, no matter where they grew up or how they, you know, how much money they have in their bank account, deserve access to the information they need to change their lives and equality and all of this. Like, there is a community of us that does need to come together, and that mm -hmm. also needs to differentiate itself, mm -hmm. you know, from one another. So, I, I really wanted to pull that together right in the second page of the book. Well, and I love what you said about, and for those woke enough to understand why I needed to say that in the first place, right? Because that calls us to have an analysis that um, there hasn't been a meditation for the rest of us in the dominant culture of wellness, right? Like there hasn't, right? Like like when we, when we look at wellness and the history of wellness, especially in modern times, it's been deeply exploitive, exclusive, um, um, you know, oppressive, um, people have been invited in, people have been left out, right? People yeah. have been uplifted, people have been harmed. Yeah. And that feels important to name too, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it feels, if that feels so important to name. There's so much to name. And I, I think that, you know, yes, there, like I, in my, so I've been teaching now for about a decade, which is crazy for me to even say, because I, I like remember when this all started. And I remember for the first half of that, I was always the token black guy in the room and every single person in, in the room was white. And I think if I remember correctly, Carrie, you were there at that festival, that conference, the first time I was asked to speak about race. And, and, and it was like, I was like, oh, you know, we're going there. And this was years ago when it first started to open. So I have to really like honor you, Carrie, because you've been doing this work in this space for so long, you know, and, and even when it wasn't like the cool thing, to do. And, you know, what's happening right now that I'm most excited about is that we are seeing an entirely new generation of healers and leaders in wellness and activism that have this context that are able to show up as teachers and leaders. And it's taken time. And I think I remember what I said in that first time I was ever asked. I said, it is happening. We are seeing diversity increase in wellness. It's just taking time 
because the, the all the people of color, all the indigenous people, all these people who are stepping in, they need to get steeped in the practice for a few years before they can just start teaching. And now that's happening. And so what has to happen in the world now, the big shift is these voices have to be elevated and lifted up, you know, for equity and, and to being included. And so I just feel grateful that and, and lucky and it feels like a responsibility that I was on the way early end of that stick, you know, a decade ago when I, well, actually more than that, when I first started doing yoga and meditation, when I was 18, like I literally did not know one black person at all doing it. In fact, when meditation got introduced to me, I said, isn't that a cult? Isn't that worshiping the devil? Like, what is that? Like, that's what I thought, you know, Oprah hadn't done a meditation challenge yet. So it was like, so anyway, it's, it's changing and I'm grateful. And, and now it's time to keep it moving. I remember that conversation so clearly, Justin, and yeah. it was for a panel. It was a mindful America panel. Um, I think it was right before the 2016 election. It was actually it was. right. So it was a, it was already like a deeply racialized political moment, um, and I remember being in real conflict about about it because um, I knew it was really important to hear from people of color, right, about what it is to um, to navigate the relationship between wellness and politics and what it is to, to be um, marginalized in the culture of wellness and what it is to take action. Um, and it also felt like deeply tokenizing, right? Like, it's like, this work is so tricky, right? Because it's like both of those things at the same time. And I remember our conversation and I remember you saying like, really, you want me to go there? It was like, okay. <laughs> but the thing was, Carrie, like I, I, there was, I think for many of us and I know a lot of people listening to to your podcast and in this community have been doing this work for a long time. But for me, like that wasn't me. Like I was a total backseat activist, like total backseat. I I would go to the rallies and the protests, but like I never used my agency and my power and my audience to organize or, you know, to do anything. And, and after that election, I and I think millions of, of young people all over the world started asking, okay, what do we do? Like, I have to show up because I am responsible for this too. And so as I got into that inquiry, which really was in my practice, I started praying and asking, show me what to do. Because I knew that organizing protests and like, I can go to those things, but that wasn't using any of my skill. It wasn't utilizing who Justin is. And I think for all of us who are asking, how do we get involved? And I have some practices in the, in the book about this, about how to become a better activist, how to get involved in movements. It really was from my own journey of asking, okay, show me the way. How do I use my skills, my talents, my gifts to be involved in a way that contributes in an authentic way that doesn't break me down, that you know helps me lift everyone up around me? And, and that's really where this book came from. And uh, hopefully what I encourage a lot of other people to step into as well. I want to give a special shout out to our community of supporters on Patreon for making it possible for us to do this work. Citizen Podcast was designed for truth seekers, bridge builders, and emerging activists who are yearning to make a difference. We're not afraid to ask hard questions and have radical dialogue about politics and patriarchy, white supremacy and worthiness, and we're serious about showing up for one another and taking action for the well-being of everyone. But making a good podcast takes a village, and so we're building one on Patreon. By joining our community for as little as $2 a month, you get lots of good stuff from us, like early access to our episodes, live meetups with guests, ally toolkits, and exclusive content. Not only does community support keep us going, but it keeps us accountable and real and pushing the envelope of courageous conversations that are independent, transparent, and authentic. You can join us at patreon.com slash C-T-Z-N-W-E-L-L. You wrote this book because you said that we need a different kind of meditation, right? Um, one that doesn't pretend the struggle doesn't exist. 
But in most wellness settings, the culture does pretend the struggle doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. right? It refuses to name white supremacy. It refuses to build gender neutral bathrooms. It refuses to get engaged in politics. And, and so how do we get the culture to acknowledge the struggle, right? To not just escape into meditation or create um, um, refuges, right? That can allow people to disconnect from what's happening in the world and instead more deeply connect to the struggle, more deeply connect to the reality of these times while staying centered in the practice. Yes, oh, this is so, I mean, you said it so right because the wellness space I have found, and it's shifting, it's starting to shift a yeah, little bit. Yeah, you that's know, right. just a little bit, but but has we've heard the reason spiritual bypassing is such a word now, you know, is because we've been taught to do it so much for the last, you know, two decades really, of just like, oh, just think and everything will change. Like, okay, so if my thoughts create my reality, let's tell that to the woman who I just taught in Southside Chicago, whose daughter got hit by a stray bullet who was a straight A student in Southside Chicago, whose Ooh, thoughts created I, that? Go ahead and tell her her thoughts created that. I dare you, you know? And like, so let's actually look at some of this stuff and, and include, th this is the thing. Meditation, a big thing that people have as a misconception about meditation is that it's supposed to help us quote unquote, feel better, right? But I, I like to take the word like better off and I think it's supposed to help us feel, period. period. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And and I say that like meditation is actually not about relaxing. Meditation is about becoming more alive. And for those of us who have had trauma and had struggle that we've had to overcome, we've gotten so much fucking practice at pushing things down. And what this practice teaches us to do is how to hold it all how to hold the joy and the shadow, how to hold the happiness and the pain, how to hold. And you think, well, like, why would I want to, why would I want to do that? Right? Why would I want to hold the, the sorrow and the pain and the sadness? There's already enough of that. Well, the thing is, if we're not holding it and bringing awareness to it, every study has shown this and we know it in our own lives. It all just runs our life from the background. It runs our life in the shadow. And so we're making choices and making decisions and worried why we're stuck in the same patterns and same habits and we're not moving forward in our lives and in our movements because we're not actually becoming aware of what it is that's holding us back mm -hmm. and, and how we can go inside to undo that. So, you know, I think the biggest thing is the practice is, what, what I want people to know is the practice is not about chilling and relaxing. And sometimes when you sit to meditate, it will fucking hurt. Sometimes you will cry. Sometimes you will feel anxious. Sometimes you will feel sad. Sometimes you will feel overwhelmed. And that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. But what like the white cisgender privileged, you know, community has taught us in the past in books, is that like, if you were feeling those things, like, oh, you need to rise above it, you need to move beyond it. No, 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 no. That's why we're in the state that we are in today, because y'all been moving away from it. Like we need you to move closer so that you can see the places in our world that have drought and that we can pour water into those places instead of just pretending like they don't exist. And so this is, um, this is a re big reason why I wrote this book, you know, because there, I don't know of any book. I personally don't know of any, any book out there that applies the practice actually of meditation and teaches people how to do it in a way that is inclusive of their struggles and what they're going through. Mm -hmm. It's funny, um, you know, after the 2016 election, I had like a barrage of, of yoga studio owners and, and meditation leaders um, who contacted me and said, okay, I'm ready now to get political as if like our political problems started with Donald Trump, right? I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous, but, but for a lot of people, it was like a wake up call um, because of how, how culture is organized, yeah. right? Because um, for whiteness, we've been organized to not see. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and um, you know, one of the things that I love that um, it just is coming up for me to say, and I know people have different opinions about her, but uh, Marianne Williamson, and one of the things that she's been saying, and, and I agree with pretty much everything that this this woman has to say. And I think what's a, what's been so amazing is watching her go through this political process is it's actually shown the shadow of the wellness community of like, look at what we as wellness, people who believe in wellness and spirituality and all this, look at what we've been able to accomplish and do in the world. Look at the businesses that we've been able to build that have gone 
completely global for fucking sweatpants. Okay, like look at what's happened and then also look at how we have completely turned our backs to pol politics yeah. because we're like, oh, well, it's too negative. I don't get involved in yeah. that. And, and look, I was there. I was there too. So I, I'm, I was that person. But right now we can't because if we turn our agency and our awareness toward it, look at what we could accomplish in that space. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it's about bringing it all together now. Well, and it's funny what people would tell me when they were contemplating, like, I want to get more politicized is they say, I just don't want to polarize people. Like, I don't mm. want to polarize our students. And I was like, you already are. Yeah. Like, you're polarizing everyone who can't imagine a practice without understanding the context of struggle. Like, right, like you already made that choice to appeal to one type of person that that you know, is choosing to escape or numb or distract, right? Um, or, or turn away, um, as opposed to actually allowing for a flourishing and complex culture and environment that allows like the meditation to be strong and the truth, right, to be yeah. revealed. Yeah, and let's just, I mean, even if I just take it like way more basic, like, you know, we can talk like, like this basic, like if you are a single mom, who has two kids that are under five and you're trying to get your mind together and you're trying to stay centered and balanced for your kids and you're totally overwhelmed and you're in a, in a class and the teacher's telling you, just meditate for 20 minutes in the morning. Bitch, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you can't, you can't. And so what do you, the question is, so what do those people do? What do they do instead? What are the other options? How does this work? And no one's talking about that. And so in this book, I like to give practices for people to say, okay, so you got shit going on. You know, you're hiding in the closet. You have struggles. You're in the wrong relationship. You have domestic violence. You have, which I grew up with, like, how do we use this practice, one, and how do we use it to overcome, two? Right. You know, so that's what it's about. And, in, and include. Yes. And yes. include, right? Like, and not include. like not transcend, but actually like integrate and include, which is what I love about this book. Yeah. Um, another thing that you describe in this book, which is a conversation I love, love, love to have. We talked to um, Anasa Troutman about it a couple months ago, um, is about this idea of not being able to dream big, right? And you really, ra you racialized it as like a black gay man. You said, when you grow up being teased for being different, your dream is to belong. When you grow up marginalized, you dream of some basic rights that seem to be afforded to everyone else by default. So of course you forget to dream bigger. And this feels huge, right? Especially in a time where we are fighting for the bare minimum, right? Like we are fighting rollbacks, right? We're fighting for like rights and, um, um, and, and policies that we've actually had in the past and that we no longer have. And yet we, I feel like we've lost sight of our vision. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is so important. You know, it, it, it applies on the macro and the, and the micro scale, you know, and, and this really happened to me in, in a very direct way. And I, I think people will have had this experience as well. Like, in their own way. So when I was growing up, I grew up, like I mentioned earlier, in a home with with literally gunshot holes on the outside of our house. Mm -hmm. And and it was it was like not a big deal. Like it was normal. That's how normalized this violence becomes, you know, and domestic violence. And my parents were super close and I loved them to death, but there was also a lot of trauma. And when I, you know, when you grow up in that environment, there are usually like three ways that you get out, right? Like you either sell drugs, which I wasn't gonna do, thank God. Um, you know, which I, but I understand why some people do that. You play sports, which I sucked at <laughs> and, or you get a scholarship or you go to college and, and you get, be smart and go to college. And so I took the third option and I ended up getting a full ride scholarship to go to UCLA for academics and I go to college. So now here's, here's the scene. Okay. Before I was hiding in the closet, living in a home with gunshot holes outside of my house, living with domestic violence, watching my mom get choked and abused, and then having to go to school and learn, do it and learn. I did everything by the book. I got straight A's. I did everything. I got the scholarship. I go to school. Now I'm living in Los Angeles with extra money. I am out of the closet. I'm totally free. And mm -hmm. I still felt like shit inside. I still felt terrible. 
And the thing was, is I realized that I was trying to, I can't say I realized, a mentor of mine, this is what got me into meditation, had me realize that I was trying to change how I felt inside by changing my external circumstances. Mm -hmm. But even though now that I lived in UCLA and had this money and had this, this and this and that and did everything and buy the book, it didn't work. So I was like, wait, this wasn't the rules of the game. Like I did everything that you said, you know, and that's what brought me to this practice. And mm -hmm. what happened for me was I went to college and I had always wanted to do music ever since I was a little kid. But because I grew up in that environment, I there was no way I was going to go to school and have a full ride scholarship and do music because I needed to make money, you know? So I gave up on my dream of music. I remember my parents saying, don't you dare go and do musical theater. Like you need to make money. And so I did marketing and the long and short of it is like several years ago, my grandmother, who I was super close to, got diagnosed with stage four cancer. The doctors told her she had a couple months to live. It was so traumatic for our family. She was what I consider young, 67, seemingly healthy. And when I arrived at her home after we got the news, she pulled me into the room and she asked me a question that literally changed the trajectory of my whole life. She just said, if you were in my shoes and you knew you were going to die in two months, what would you do? Whoa. And I'm looking at her like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And she said, I've been wanting to ask you this for years, but now that I know I don't have a lot of time, close your eyes, do that meditation thing that you've been talking about. <laughs> and listen, if you were going to die in two months, what would you do? And immediately I just said, I would quit every single thing that I'm doing and I would record an album. I would do music. And the thing is, I had always wanted to do it ever since I was a little boy, but I let all the kids who tease me about being gay at school make me think I sucked at everything. And if you're like a little boy growing up in the hood, you know, being feminine means you get beat up. So I just hid all those parts of myself. And I think we all have these things, we all have these dreams that we think are not for us because we're too fat or too old or too ugly or too gay or we're not good enough or we waited too long or we, have, we should have did it before we had kids or whatever. And we stop ourselves. And when you have the struggle on top of that, of course you forget about that dream because you're just trying to survive, right? And so, so what happened with my grandma that day is I promised her, she made me look her in the eyes and promise her that I would do something with music. And I'm so grateful to say that now I've put out an album that charted in the top 20 and all of that, I'm not saying it to brag. I'm saying it because the system that has helped me overcome the things that a literal lifetime that had stopped me from doing that it wasn't just like a choice, like, okay, I'm going to do it now. You know what I mean? It, it takes inner work and practice to mm -hmm. cultivate the power and agency to break past the barriers and bonds that have been placed on top of us and step into your full power. And, mm -hmm. and that's what this practice has done for me. And that's why I'm sharing it with everybody mm -hmm. else. You know, what's so crazy is that I don't know how I would answer your grandma's question. And it makes me think about some of the stuff that you really lean into in your book, right? Like, around um, worthiness and self-doubt and perfectionism, which is something you and I have talked about a lot, right? Yeah. And, and like what's really in the way of us, um, besides like the tangibles, right, that we've already been talking about, what's in the way of us reaching, right? What's in the way of us imagining better for ourselves? What's in the way of us um, taking leaps, right? That and I don't even know the answer to that question. It's so funny. Like, as you were telling that story, I'm thinking, like, I've been so um, stuck in the resistance that I actually haven't let myself dream that way. And I don't even have an answer to that question. And, and you're going to now make me have to, like, journal and shit. Yes, but here's the thing. This is what I'm going to recommend, Carrie, because cause here's the reason why the meditation piece sticks with it. And people have asked me this, like, well, why don't I just journal about it, Right. When we just sit and write a vision or do a vision board and say, this is what I want from my life, what I find nine times out of 10, forget it, 10 times out of 10, is it's often coming from our heads. Mm -hmm. What we need right now, yeah, it's coming from this cognitive place. And so we need it to come from our hearts. That's where we actually need this to come from. That's where the question is actually being asked. And, it, and for me to drop in and have my heart cracked open in that way, unfortunately, it took me standing and sitting in front of my grandma who was dying. You know, mm -hmm. I wasn't in my head in that moment. And so what I like to do when I guide people through practices, and that's what we do in, in the book, is I give people a practice that they can actually go into their heart with a meditation and then create their vision from there. 
and and write their vision from there. There's actually space in the book for writing, like workshop I journaling. And, and so that's what the 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 call and my offer is to people is don't just think about this stuff. Use the practice to drop into your heart and then and then create your life from there. That's where mm-hmm. the magic unfolds. Well, and it's making me think about like, you know, I spend so much time contemplating like what are the injustices that we should be outraged enough and not enough time contemplating what am what what am I yearning for? Yeah. Right? Like what am I yearning for that um that you know isn't the reality in this unjust system, right? What am I year what is my heart's longing um around belonging and community, right? And um and worthiness and purpose and and it's just making you're making me kind of like um do like a paradigm shift in my mind around like, where am I putting my energy? Not that that's not right. 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 But like to only resist and to not imagine yeah. is I think actually um, um, is really holding the movement back quite frankly. Yeah. Do you know, I think about, and I, and I'm so grateful that Martin Luther King's um, team, like actually let me use um, some text from the, I have a dream speech in the book because like this is the perfect example. Like if you think about what was happening in the world when MLK gave that speech, which, you know, there's many elements to it, but when he's talking about this dream that he has for America, the thing is, is that stuff back then seemed impossible then. And some of it still seems impossible now. Yeah. But the thing is, is it doesn't actually matter if the dream comes true, the way you see it in your head, what matters is who you become in pursuit of that dream. That's what actually matters, who you become. And so this is why dreaming and getting out of the limitations and dreaming bigger is so important because as we're aiming for those things, we become greater than the limitations that are upon us. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also making me think about, you mentioned before that meditation allows us to build a capacity to hold both of those things at the same time, right? So I'm thinking about, you know, in the spirit of of Martin Luther King, I'm thinking about the I have a dream speech and the letter from Birmingham jail. And like, what does it look like to hold both of those pieces of work at the same time, right? One that's aspirational and one that's like really hard to hear that speaks the truth of the reality of our condition. Like how, and I, that's what I do appreciate about my practice. My meditation practice is that like, it makes me feel like, okay, I can hold this. Yeah. Right. I can hold all of these things. I don't have to choose. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's what the world is again, calling for us right now. Like, look how, look how much we're leaning or trying to lean away from this binary bullshit. It's like this or that, this or that. No, you know what I mean? And I think the generations coming, especially around gender and stuff like that, it's just kind of like not necessary and um, not necessary to have this black or white either, or, and um, I think that's, what's being called of us in our practices is to look at our lives and say, it's this and, you know, it's this and, and how do I hold it all? So it, um, that reminds me of, of, um, perfect or not perfect, mm-hmm. <laughs> which you and I have talked about, right. Mm-hmm. Oppression of perfectionism. Yeah. Um, and, um, and what an enormous barrier that is <laughs> to our potential, despite the fact that dominant culture rewards us for, you know, aspirations of being perfect or pursuing yeah. the perfect body or trying to find the perfect words. I mean, I even think about um, the evolution of allyship, right? And yeah. how that even sometimes tries to model perfection, say the right thing, um, do the right thing. Um, and so I'm just curious for you, like your journey with perfectionism and, and what it cost you. Yeah, Carrie, first of all, I have to say, you gave me one of the most important lessons I've had on perfectionism this decade. And I'm so grateful that I got to include your your quote and, and what I learned from you in a practice in the book, because it's, it's so important. And perfectionism has really hindered me a lot in my like in my early 20s. And it was it was so hard. And now being, you know, a decade away from that, looking back, seeing that that was really what was holding me back the most was this feeling that once I was perfect, then I would be worthy of, Ah. you know, and and it led me down some crazy rabbit holes. Like I, 
like I got to college and, you know, I got an eating disorder because I moved to LA and I was looking at all these, like the gay community in particular, these like gorgeous six pack buff, you know, steroid induced, you know, guys all over West Hollywood and, and thinking, first of all, there's a lot of racism in the gay community, which people I think, you know, would sometimes people are surprised about and some people know. And I was kind of taking this way that people were super dismissive of me that I just wasn't good enough because mm -hmm. I didn't have this right body, but really it was racism and, and all this other stuff that I didn't see. And so I was trying to make myself perfect thinking once I was perfect, then I'd be worthy of blank, you know? And, and I think once we undo that and, and really understand that like we are worthy as we are and and when we step out of the grip of perfectionism that's when we then open up into the gifts of life and i and even with this book to be honest like if it wasn't for my publisher having a deadline i would still be editing this shit today i would oh still God. be editing I it feel now. You. i feel you that's like like perfectionism is so up for me in writing this book yeah and you just like i remember them just saying you can't make any more edits it's done and I'm just like, but, but, and it's just like, but the thing that I recognize and, and that has been a big teacher for me in writing this is once you've done it, of course, you're going to change something because now you've done it. So you have the experience to look back and say what you would have done differently. And so you couldn't have done it that way without having done the thing first. And so now I keep, I keep just expecting that, like, even after this podcast interview, I'm probably going to listen to it later and say, shit, I should have said that. Or I shouldn't have said, right. I was already thinking, you're like, I said the word bitch on this podcast. I should not have said that. Like, you know, but like so many different on this podcast. Yeah. But I just, there's so many things that you think of and then you're like, okay, yeah. no, now I did that and onward. And now I can do it better next time if I want. And if I don't do it better next time, guess what? It's okay. And perfect according to whom, like even when I was hearing you just describe your experience, it made me think about perfection as conf as conformity, right? Yeah. Like, right, perfection is always in relationship to some kind of standard, right? Like someone has constructed the idea of the perfect body or the perfect career or, right, the perfect way to write a book. Um, and so, like, it's a, it's a choice. Like, I either choose to conform to that or I choose to deviate. Yeah. Right. And so it's just making me think about how perfectionism is just one more weapon yeah. of the system yeah. that keeps us trapped. Totally. Totally. It is. And thank God for practice. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, um, oh my gosh, this book has been endorsed by so many awesome people from Patrice Colors, uh, co-founder of Black Lives Matter to John Kabat-Zinn, the father of mindfulness, as I like to call him. <laughs> and it includes practices like meditating while black, um, stop porn from fucking you, <laughs> and I am Beyonce. All of these yes. practices, by the way, sound amazing. What, what should people expect from these practices? <laughs> So this is the thing, the, the, and I love those. Those are kind of like the buzzword ones that people like to I use, know, especially the I am Beyonce good. one. But yeah, it's, it's great. And it's a fun practice. And the thing is, these are the two things. I, my intention with this book was to apply meditation to the very real contexts that we're dealing with in our life in places that we often don't see awareness or mindfulness. And so even with the example you gave of a practice that I have called stop porn from fucking you, a creativity practice, like it's, it's a, it's a thing that's in the shadow that people don't like to talk about, but like men and women, but definitely the epidemic is I think mostly among men is like this addiction to porn. And I am not anywhere in the book saying this is good or this is bad. I'm saying, Hey, this is some awareness that you might want to have. And this is how we can bring the mindfulness practice to it and use it to overcome. So one of the things that I've learned in my own life, even around porn, for example, there is a lot of research to show these negative effects of it, which I won't go into here, but I think what was going to happen in about a hundred years. So like, you know how it took about 110 years for people to realize that smoking cigarettes inside was a bad thing. Like for a hundred years, they were smoking cigarettes indoors and in airplanes. And now we can't even imagine that now. I think a hundred years from now, people are going to look back and say porn was one of the things that was dramatically affecting society without mm -hmm. us having it checked because it's hidden under the radar. And um, 
Mm. It actually affects our creativity. And, and so the way that I use the practice is to use our sexual energy to actually help our creative processes. So I try to pull mindfulness into these different scenarios to see how we can use the practice to really live a better life and turn some of these things that are often looked as a shadow into something that can be empowering for us. So mm-hmm. I love yeah. that. It's, it's all about context for me. Well, and it also seems like um, an invitation for people, right? Like yeah. what's hidden beneath the surface? What's uh, tucked in the shadows, right? What are you ashamed of? What do you do in private? Right. And, and how do you expose those things so that you can work with them? Yeah. And, and, you know, I have, and some of them are are kind of fun and crazy like that. And some of them, like I have the practice with you about the prison of perfectionism and how to overcome obsessive thinking. And so like, what I love is the first half of the book, the way it's structured is the first half of it is teaching you how to meditate in a way that is very situated to, to sit in your life in your in the life that you have so it's not me prescribing some recipe to you it's me teaching you how to create your own recipe that fits with you and then the second half of the book the second hundred and something pages or so are all these short little mini practices because i love books where like for example like one of my favorite books is like oprah's wisdom of sunday's book or um lauren roche's radiant sutras i love books where you can just open and it's like a one little page that you can do a practice and you can just read real quick in the morning. So the whole second half of the book is 33 little mini practices mm. that you can read you can read in like 5 minutes and then and then use the practice and have some journal prompts. And so it just feels really exciting. I want it to be practical practical and actionable for people so they can see how this actually works in their life. Well, and I love that you're also giving people choice. Yeah. Choice right? is good. Customized and, and, you know, people can curate it to their life. Yeah, that's the goal. In your book, um, you present this idea of freedom meditation. What is that? Yeah, so freedom meditation is the style of meditation that I teach. And uh, <laughs> it's interesting. Like I, in the past, I've never called my meditation anything. Like it was when I was writing the book, they were like, you're going to have to call this something. And I was like, oh, like, Okay. And, and then I realized that it was something different. So I called it freedom meditation because mm-hmm. of two things. One, it's it's uh, in our lives to help us experience more freedom, obviously, in, in, in our lives and internally. But also the way you develop the practice is with so much freedom to have it fit in your life, like I said, and all the way to the point where one of the cruxes of my practice, like the, the main thing is there's a chapter that is called Discover Your Unique Energy Signature. And what it is, is it's a practice where I guide people through the experience of creating their own mantra for their practice. And the reason why I think this is important is because so often we're taught that we need to have somebody outside of us, some guru outside of us, some app outside of us, tell us what we need. But actually, like the whole point of meditation is to realize that the guru is actually inside of you. And people always tell us, you have all the answers within, but what I find is nobody ever tells us how the fuck to get within, mm-hmm. to get the answers, you know? And they're, and we're constantly being prescribed like, oh, you should meditate on peace. Or you should meditate in this language that you don't even understand and just trust that the magic is supposed to unfold. Like, and, and I think all that stuff is fine. I'm not knocking it. I'm just offering another option that I find people really enjoy when they're able to self-generate a mantra that is unique to them and unique to the circumstance they have going on in their life. So all the way from the freedom is all the way from how you practice to what you practice to what you're focusing on in your practice. Mm-hmm. Every single part of it, you are creating. And I'm just helping ask you the right questions to create it for yourself. That feels really radical because it, it it feels like self-determination, right? And yeah. I know like there's a lot of disciplines of yoga and meditation and spiritual practice that are more um, structured and linear and dogmatic. That Like you have to do it this way. <laughs> Um, for it to work. Um, but I, I subscribe to your theory of, of transformation. Like I really think that people get to choose for themselves, yeah. right? What practice looks like, what wellness looks like, right? Yeah. What it looks like to dream, right? Like it's like not one dream fits all, right? Not one wellness practice fits all, not one meditation fits all. Yeah. And, and you said this before, but like, it's like, how do we create a shared understanding, but how do we also appreciate all of the nuance and differences, right? And yeah. uniqueness that, that makes up, you know, who we are as a collective. And, and I think, um, 
you know, democratizing, if you will, <laughs> the practice in that way really encourages that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important. You know, it's, it's, um, what I, we talked about perfectionism earlier and, and, you know, this box that it puts us in and the, the weapon that it is. And I think even oftentimes with these practices, we're taught that like, oh, if you do it this way, exactly as I'm telling you to do it, it should work. And if you, if you don't do it exactly like this and it doesn't work, it was your fault because you didn't do exactly what I said. And perfectionism again. And it's perfectionism again, you know, mm -hmm. and we're doing things that feel so like, I remember when I was learning a practice and, and I was being taught, like I had to wake up at like three 30 in the morning or something like that. And look, if that works for you, great. I was trying so hard. And then during the day I was like shaky, like literally my whole body was telling my whole, everything in my body was saying, no, this does not work for us. But I was trying to force myself into it because if I didn't do it, then it wasn't going to work and I wasn't going to have abundance and I wasn't going to whatever. Mm -hmm. And then once I finally stopped, I felt so much better. And I'm like, what am I doing this practice for? To feel like shit? No. You know, so it, it, I, I like for people to have the agency. And we talk about agency a lot, but like the what my intention is in this book is to give people the tools so that they can feel empowered to create something that works for themselves and not feel like they're just doing it haphazardly and not sure what's going to work or what isn't. And so the, it's the, I go through the book really like a, it's like a recipe book, but it's you creating your own. This book is so refreshing. Oh, thank you. It's so refreshing. It's so spot on. Um, I think in terms of like the medicine that's needed for this moment, um, I love that it's self-determined. I love that it's not linear. I love that it's complex. <laughs> um, I love that it's um, for the rest of us, <laughs> very specifically so. Um, and I'm really grateful that you wrote it because I, I, I mean, I have loved being a part of your journey for the last couple of years and, and watching you in, in your growth and evolution. And you've been really inspiring to witness. Um, and I do think the messenger matters, right? Like when we put really important pieces of art, um, and craft out into the world, like, um, the person behind that art really matters. And, and you've just been so consistent and, um, and, and so authentic in your own unfolding and evolving that I think it really comes through in this book and it invites other people to do the same. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for um, living it. Thank you. Right? Like you have to live it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, the living it is the hard part. <laughs> but I'm it's, doing it. It's a shit show. Yeah. But you know what I love both of us, Karen. I think this is why we connect so deeply, and and our tribe, even though I sometimes don't like using that word, you know, is is forming strong because one of the things that I committed to two and a half years ago when I started with this book was I am not going to be one of those damn teachers who writes all this stuff and is not living the practice. Mm -hmm. I refuse, and you know, and I know you live it too. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to get it right every time. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to struggle. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard or I'm not going to have anxiety or have things that I'm dealing with and I'm not going to fail sometimes, but it means that I'm going to be doing everything I can to live in alignment with what I believe and what I'm teaching. And, and you're doing that as well in so many ways that are so empowering for all of us. And so I, I just feel grateful to be on this walk with you. Yeah, I'm with you. Like I'll choose real over, you know, um, manufactured any day. Yeah. Justin, I'm so excited for this book. I'm so excited for people to have this book and to live into this book. And I'm so excited to see what you're up to next. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, if I can mention one thing, Carrie, that's really important for me. Um, the thing that we're doing with the book tour is what is, I think, as much as I want people to buy the book, that's awesome. But one of the things that's happening is we're actually traveling to underprivileged communities all around the country and giving away tens of thousands of copies of this book for free. We're doing huge assemblies at high schools and colleges in places like Flint, Michigan and Southside Chicago and Atlanta and Oakland. And we're trying to take this to as many schools as possible. And so I've partnered with the Sounds True Foundation 
to uh, create this kind of crowdfunding campaign where you're able to give as little as $8 or as much as you want. It only takes $8 to give to one child. And we're taking this all around the country so that kids who are growing up in, and who can't afford this and don't have access to this get the tools younger so they don't have to be dealing with as much as we're dealing with now as adults. And so if anybody feels called to support that movement, it would mean the world to get this to the kids who needs us, who need us. And uh, the link is just staywokegiveback.org. That's staywokegiveback.org. And every donation is fully tax deductible. 100% of it is going straight towards this movement. And uh, it, it just really means the world to get this out to the kids who need us. I love that's, that's how you're introducing this book to the world. I mean, that's brilliant and perfect. Um, we will include that link in our show notes so people can just click through and give. Um, and, and however we can be a part of like supporting it and promoting it and letting people know that this is happening, we certainly will. Thank you so much, Carrie. I appreciate you so much. You got it. Thanks for being with us today, Justin. Mwah. Mwah. While this podcast is coming to an end, our work in the world is just beginning. This week's call to action is to stay woke, as Justin says. This means doing the work as an everyday, sustained practice of being fully in the world. Be sure to pick up Justin's book for more on this practice. And you can follow him on Instagram at WeJustWill. Special thanks to DJ Drez for the amazing soundtrack. You can check out his music at DJDrez.com. And to our executive producer who puts it all together and makes it sound great, Trevor Exter. And thank you for being here today. You can stay in the know and engaged by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter, Well Read, at citizenwell.org. Citizen Podcast is community-inspired and crowdsourced. That's how we keep it real. Join our community on Patreon for as little as $2 per month so that we can keep doing the work of curating content that matters for citizens who care. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And share the love, y'all, by telling your friends to check us out. 